This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Hi, Becca. Hi, Ryan. Welcome back to Intertractional, the podcast we invented so we talk about Star Trek all the time. This week, we're going to talk about uh, concentration camps, Mm -hmm. detainment centers, and their appearances in Star Trek and in our country. I feel like content warning, this is a little bit of a dark episode um, since we are in the darkest timeline, but (laughs) it's... You know, also uplifting because it's Star Trek and it's interesting to look at how Star Trek dealt with these problems and uh, potentially how we can move past them. The episodes that we watched were from Deep Space Nine and Enterprise, and they both have like very clear messages about detention centers, detainment, uh, concentration camps, detainment center, detention facility. What the... There's too many words think, for a thing that's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the controversy is whether or not we're allowed to call them concentration camps after World War II. The term concentration camps has a specific meaning, and it is true that during the Holocaust, concentration camps, um, many of them became death camps, mm-hmm. but they are uh, not necessarily equivalent right and i think you know we're kind of um talking around this bullshit kerfuffle between alexandria ocasio-cortez and our cheeto president uh around what to call the locations where immigrants or refugees are being detained at our southern border the frustration that I have with that is that it becomes an argument about semantics instead yes. of about humanity. Yes. Uh, we we watched like an all-time classic episode, mm-hmm. um, or two episodes rather, uh, Past Tense Parts 1 and 2, Deep Space Nine, aired in January 1995, season three, episodes 11 and 12. Captain Sisko... Jadzia Dax and Dr. Bashir are sent back in time to 2024 San Francisco via a transporter accident. Cisco and Bashir are apprehended for not having ID and sent to a sanctuary district, a walled-in neighborhood for homeless, jobless people. Dax is rescued by a media mogul billionaire who gives her an apartment and access to his computer, which she uses to falsify an ID. Captain Sisko gives Bashir a history lesson. In a few days, the district will protest their treatment in the Bell Riots, where a man named Gabriel Bell will be shot by law enforcement while protecting hostages, and the nation will be so outraged by his death that the sanctuary districts will be eliminated. Unfortunately, they have contaminated the timeline, and Bell dies early in a bum fight. Sisko fears that the much-needed social change will not take place and decides to pose as Gabriel Bell. The Bell Riots take place, and Bashir, Sisko, and others take government employees as hostages so that they can demand fair treatment. Dax is able to leverage her friendship with the billionaire to help the Bell Rioters get their message onto the internet TV, and Sisko successfully protects the hostages from the other protesters so that the Sanctuary District can maintain the moral high ground. 
Eventually, the crew of the Defiant figures out where our heroes are lost in the timeline, and the hostages, who made friends with Bashir and Sisko, agree to let them go and pretend like they died. <laughs> when they return to the future, they find Sisko's image in place of Gabriel Bell's in the history texts. And he's like, <laughs> how am I going to explain this to High Command? Yeah. Um, Intertractions, uh, the billionaire guy had a Maori tattoo removed um, so that he could seem more professional. And th- so this is some uh, cultural appropriation since he's a white guy. And then also while he's apolo- he's like apologizing for no longer having the tattoo because he's no longer edgy and cool. Whatever, yeah. dude. Yeah. <laughs> We also watched an episode from Enterprise uh, called Detained, which aired in April of 2002. Captain Archer and Ensign Mayweather wake up disoriented in what turns out to be a detention center. The other residents of the detention center are all Suliban, and Archer and Travis witness them being harassed during an inspection before they are taken by the guards to meet the warden. The warden, Colonel Gratt, and the rest of the guards are Tendarans, a race that is at war with the Cabal, an organization mostly made up of Suliban that is waging the temporal Cold War. Grat reveals that all Suliban who had been citizens or residents of the Tandaran system are being held in various detention centers. He interrogates Archer and Mayweather about their past interactions with the Cabal. When Archer and Mayweather return to their cell, they begin making friends with the residents. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, T'Pol, as acting captain, tries to negotiate for their release or at least learn where they are being held. Ultimately, Hoshi and Malcolm are able to locate the detention center using Gratz comm signal and beam down a communicator for Archer and Mayweather. After increasingly hostile treatment from the guards and the warden and some plotting with the residents and the Enterprise, Archer, Mayweather, and a disguised as Suliban Malcolm, along with the detainees, make a daring escape from the compound under weapons fire. The Suliban reclaim their impounded ships, and everyone flies off into space. A couple interjections from this episode. Um, Mayweather gets beaten up, uh, but off screen. And it's one of the few things that he actually kind of has to do in this episode. Uh, I think he's underutilized, which is unfortunate as a person of color. Archer lectures the Enterprise crew about America's internment of citizens with Japanese ancestry, um, specifically referencing a camp called Manzanar. Um, and so we we know that this particular episode is very referential, explicitly referential of the Japanese internment in America. And yet Hoshi, as her character uh, of Japanese ancestry gets to say nothing at all about this another missed opportunity for people to have a voice mm-hmm. that are not white men oh and dean stockwell's in this episode he was on quantum leap <laughs> and Battlestar galactica fun fact yeah N- not intersectional at all sci-fi actors showing up all over the place yeah. so yeah um I would say that if you had to choose between watching this episode and watching the DS9 episode, definitely watch the DS9 episodes. They are better television. Deep Space Nine is like probably not my my favorite uh, of the Star Trek series. Mm-hmm. And uh, Captain Sisko is not one of my favorite actors or um, characters. Like 
hardly at all, but I love him in this episode. He mm-hmm. does such a great job. To the extent that he overacts at all, it feels totally appropriate to the situation. And I, I feel like this particular episode started going viral a few years ago as the homelessness problem in San Francisco and the greater Bay Area started to grow and become more extreme. Stills from this episode and images from actual homeless people in tents in actual today 2018, 2019, 2017, San Francisco would be shown alongside each other. People would be like, five more years, you guys. Oh my God. Yeah, it's like creepily believable that this could be happening five years from now. You know, they when they made this, it was 1995. So that was 30 years in the future. But yeah. I think one of the things that Star Trek tries to do is be like, hey, watch out. This is gonna, this is like coming. Maybe stop it from happening. Our current political climate is like trending this way. And I remember having a conversation with a, a friend, a person who is Persuaded. a person I've known for a long time. <laughs> anyway, he and I were having a conversation about what to do about the homeless people in San Francisco because he was pretty upset, understandably, the second or third time he found shit on his doorstep leaving his (laughs) San Francisco apartment. And he basically invented the concept of ghettos. What? He was, I mean, like, he, obviously he didn't invent ghettos, but he was like, he was basically like, what if we just took all of them and like put them in a place where they can all be together and we don't have to look at them And they can do whatever it is they do over there. And I'm like, that's a ghetto. Oh, jeez. This is why you're not hanging out with this person anymore? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) One Uh, of the many reasons. Yeah. I will also say in my neighborhood, uh, there is a 50-50 chance that it is dog shit. Dog shit. Human shit. Do you want to, like, accidentally step in that on your way to work when it's, like, on your doorstep? No. But the solution is not ghettos. No, no. The solution is more public toilets. Oh, yeah. I was talking with a person who spent six years being homeless last night. One of the things I asked him as we were having this conversation about, like, remedies, what if we were able to provide uh, bathrooms and showers for people, like, just publicly available to use? And he said, yeah, that would go like a really long way. But he also said like the public bathrooms now all have to have attendance because otherwise an individual will kind of take up camp in that space. Oh, they won't vacate it. And make it their their like home and then other people, other homeless or other people who just want to make use of a public facility are not able to. So this is like... A very complex problem that does not have easy solutions. Yeah. But walling up a neighborhood in the city and putting 10,000 people there is not a solution. Okay, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how the Sanctuary District works. Um, A given Sanctuary District has 10,000 people in it. The one that our heroes end up in is called Sanctuary Sanctuary District A. It, it is implied that there are more in San Francisco, and it is outright stated that there are areas like this in every major city in the U.S. So this is not just happening in San Francisco at this point. Sanctuary District A makes up a 20-square-block area. People have ration cards, which allow them to get food. Um, all building buildings in the district are for everyone to use. However, a lot of people are shown in tents and uh, people 
sort of guard the buildings to let in who they want to let in and to not let in other people. Mm-hmm. Um, the district security are overworked and underpaid. Um, people are sort of funneled through an intake center where they're fingerprinted and face scanned, uh, which is real now. Yeah. And it's basically a DMV from hell. People without criminal records um, are allowed in. People with criminal records are not allowed in. Mm. Um, and they, the districts are for people without jobs or places to go. Yeah. So they're told uh, you're not allowed to leave because you don't have a job. And they're like, how can we get a job? And they're like, we don't know. Yeah, there's some vague promise to help you find job placement, which the queues for is endless and nobody ever advances. Another thing that I thought was interesting that this episode does is it kind of comes up with its own slang terms. Yeah. Um, It calls people who are in the sanctuary district who just don't have jobs, they're called gimmies. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other portion of the population is called dims, essentially people who are suffering from mental illnesses that make them unable to work. There was a third group of people who were like, the violent people who you should avoid. The I forget ghosts. what they were called. The ghosts. Yeah. Um, and we, we run into some of those characters. One particular fellow wears a hat and he shows up a lot. And we know he's bad because he's got a hat on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I did want to contrast this with real life really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, in real life, in 2019, San Francisco has 8,011 homeless people who meet the federal defin- definition. And... Um, I think 9,784, which meets San Francisco's expanded definition of homelessness. This is up 17% from two years ago. So So, there are 10,000 people who are living in Sanctuary District A, and it's just chillingly close to what we're doing today. Even the fact that Cisco and Bashir end up there in the first place is because they do not have... Um, ID. Yeah. It's like, show us your papers law. And Arizona is still the law of the land there. Anybody who's like, looks brown, basically, has to have ID on them all the time. Yeah. And I think that that's more targeted at, um, at immigrants or potential illegal immigrants, Mm -hmm. but they still created that rule that way they just have, um, the ability to question people at any point, which is eerily similar to fascist Nazi Germany. Yeah. It's not particularly subtle about how this is a fascist state that's happening. Yeah, and just to bring things down even further, can I, uh, I want to quote our fearless leader. July 4th, um, or a few days before, um, in an interview with Tucker Carlson, uh, President Trump said, quote, police officers are getting sick just by walking the beat. We cannot ruin our cities. You have people that work in those cities. They work in office buildings. And to get into that building, they have to walk through a scene that no one would have believed possible three years ago. I mean, yeah, maybe no, no one, one would have believed it possible. That, but okay, sure. Okay. <laughs> Deep Space Nine definitely <laughs> thought it was possible. Then he says this incredibly vague and scary thing. We have to take the people, he said. We have to do something. At another point, he said, we very may well intercede We are looking at it very seriously. We may do something to get that whole thing cleaned up. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I'm trying not to panic, uh, given what's going on at our borders. Yeah, it's like, it's really fucking scary. And and like what I envision 
is like super close to what happens at the end of of this set of episodes where the um, military is sent in to break up the riot and rescue the hostages and they end up killing I, th- I think the number that they cite is they killed 157 people who were residents of the sanctuary city because the military got sent in or that amount of death um, was one of the reasons that this like public outrage against the sanctuary districts like then um, started to, to change things. We've had kind of a slow creep situation where the the police in the United States are becoming more and more militarized. They literally receive like secondhand um, military the, gear. The, the gear, yeah. They're just armed to the teeth in yeah. a way that makes everybody who isn't a police officer the enemy. Yeah, I mean, I wrote in my notes that so so. Captain Sisko is very clear that uh, Bell becomes the face of this national outrage, that he was a man who had, was trying to protect the hostages from gunfire when the when the government comes in, and he is killed in the process. And uh, the nation is outraged at his death. Mm-hmm. And I wrote um, that I wish that there would be that sort of national outrage over uh, somebody being shot by a cop. But we've also just seen it happen again and again and again, year after year, and nothing changes. Mm-hmm. So, so the idea that yeah. that that one man's death would lead to this historic, monumental change um, to the extent that uh, Cisco would need to pose as that man as that man to not change history is a little optimistic of Star Trek. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I agree with that. I, my interpretation from the episode is that he's he's like the face um, and people are outraged that he in particular got shot because he was doing this heroic thing of, of guarding these hostages. But they are also like the public outrage is also due to the number of people who were killed in trying to uh, quell this riot. Yeah. Yeah, I think that m- martyrs are one of the primary rallying points for people who are like ready to be the revolution yeah i don't know who our martyrs are going to be necessarily but i think they're going to come i really do cisco and bashir are you know they're picked up for not having id they are also two non-white men um even though dr bashir is often white passing he is arab and uh they get sent off to the sanctuary camp um, Dax, a very attractive white woman, is found, like, not 100 feet from them and is, like, given a free hotel room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and invited to a very fancy party, um, which, you know, had to happen uh, in the episode so that the, they could be separated and have to look for each other and so that we could see both ways of life. Mm-hmm. But um, she is immediately invited into, like, the tech bro billionaire class which is not really called that, but it's definitely the media class. Yeah. And it is crazy. I mean, 20 years, 20 years ago, and it is crazy accurate. Apart from what the visual interface of their like computer technology looks like, everything else about this episode is like this is 
really happening. Although I will say that their, uh, what they thought 2024, um, San Francisco would be wearing is like <laughs> David Burns 1980s daydream. Mm. I absolutely love the costuming in this episode, especially the costuming for the people who are like affluent. Um, yeah. And Dax gets in this getup where she's wearing an amazing structured suit that's gray with different kind of prints and oh it is absolutely something you would wear i would 100 percent wear this (laughs) and she and her hair is done it's ridiculous it's like all curled under it's referential of of blade runner in my opinion yes i was about to say blade runner Um, yeah yeah which is just like somebody in the costume department for star trek like loves future 40s jedzy also has a feather in her hair yes that's my other i love that feather uh, I I thought that they were dressed way too fancy for real life San Francisco. Oh, for sure. I was yes. like, all of these people would be in t-shirts or Patagonia or wearing... Athleisure. Like, yes. Yes. <laughs> Word to that. It's so true. Oh my God. Um, San, <laughs> San Francisco. One of the ways that you break my heart is that I don't have a reason to get dressed up for often. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really funny when people come here from New York and they're like, what do I need to wear to this restaurant? And I was like, the same thing you're wearing right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally the pajamas you woke up in this yes. morning, assuming you wear clothes when you're sleeping. But I, I would like to talk about this fancy party scene. Yes. Um, people, are, we sort of get an idea of what's going on around the rest of the world. Someone complains about how their trip to the Alps was ruined by student protesters. Mm. And how the neo-Trotskyists couldn't get that under control. <laughs> oh, and then they they're t- she brings up the sanctuary district. Someone brings up the sanctuary districts. Mm-hmm. And uh, the comment is, well, that's the only way to keep them off the streets. Um, Jadzia then realizes that this is probably where Cisco and Bashir have been shunted off to. And uh, is really shocked, I think, that her billionaire friend hasn't thought of this earlier. Because she keeps saying, I've been separated from my friends. None of us have ID. And he's like, gee, I wonder where they are. Maybe they're in the Hilton. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, do you think my friends could have ended up in the sanctuary districts? And he's like, maybe, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know who he's imagining her friends are. But he's definitely not imagining two middle-aged brown men. Like He's imagining some other hot white women. This character frustrates me so much because... He's just could be Mark Zuckerberg yes. in like an alternate reality where he's actually wearing a suit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, I was calling him Benny off in my notes. Yeah. But he's like the fact that they have to go to this party before they come to the notion that Bashir and Cisco might be in the sanctuary district is like kind of absurd. But then again, like maybe it is believable because people who have that level of wealth and power, it is very easy for them to be blind to the common man experience, Mm -hmm. right? I have to credit our friend Faith for coming up with what I think is the best description of current life San Francisco, private splendor, public squalor. Oh man, yeah. And it's... I mean, it's reflected in this episode. It's really like the life that we're living today. And you're brilliant, Faith. And one of these days we'll have you on our podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a way that we can um, talk about things that are less depressing than how on the nose this episode is and how 
disturbingly possible it is that we'll have a sanctuary district in five years. Well, uh, Dr. Bashir looks really great with like a two-day shadow. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed in this episode the outfits that Kira and Miles put on as their like layperson clothes while they're being beamed to various points in U.S. history. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even describe what they're wearing. It is so kind of out there and ageless. They look kind of like they're going on a medieval quest, <laughs> <laughs> but like a colorful medieval quest. I, yeah, I, I mostly, uh, I just remember the the scene where they, they beam into the 60s in oh, front of, it's... like, these people who are, like, really heavily tripping. Uh-huh. Who, like, hand them a flower and then are completely unfazed when they're beamed away right in front of them. Yeah. They're like, whoa, this stuff is strong. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be those people in that van. Yeah. Like, they were having a good time. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's, I, I like that, I like their, like, B-plot in the yeah. middle of all of this stuff, this heavy stuff, because <sighs> it's, like, it's goofy to the point of farce. Yes. And it brings levity into this story that's, like, pretty well needed. Yeah. Um, but they're also, like, pretty flippant about it, because the, the way that they have tension about how they're going to find their missing crewmates is they're like, okay... We have a limited number of activated chroniton particles. We think that they're in one of these 10 time periods, but we only have enough chroniton particles for five. <laughs> Let's just wildly guess at where they might have been. Because there's like no Federation anymore. Yes. Like they changed the timeline to the extent that like the Federation is gone. Star Trek is very uneven about how it feels about time travel. Yeah. Um, in this particular instance, the effects of uh, the real Gabriel Bell being shot in that fight where it was like premature death um, immediately leads to an entire change in the timeline where mm-hmm. the Federation disappears and everybody is gone except for the Defiant because of these activated chroniton particles. Chroniton particles are magic. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Miles uh, Miles O'Brien has so much techno babble in this episode. And yes. he, he is like so serious about it. And like Kira's just like, well, what do you think happened? And he's like, well, all of this nonsense happened. And she's like, why is that? And he's like, I think it's because of this other nonsense. And she's like, can you fix it? And he's like, give me a few hours. And it's like, what? <laughs> what? Also, how does he never get in trouble for any of this? Like he just sent people back in time and sending them to this conference. Like does anyone ever get in trouble? trouble for any of these transporter accidents like they should do a review (laughs) like Like, what the fuck went wrong here okay so in his in miles's defense it was like a micro singularity oh my god that caused the chroniton particles i can't believe you remember the nonsense that happened (laughs) like when they start talking i'm just like Fake science, fake science, fake science. Like, that's all I hear. And I could not tell you later what they were saying. Mm-hmm. But, like... I retain most of it. Yeah. yeah. MIT. Um, <laughs> yes. The the absolutely made up, not science, I retain perfectly well. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. But in his defense, there was a micro-singularity. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yep. All right. They do ultimately end up going to the right time. Oh, I think we got onto this because of the costumes. Yeah, you liked the costumes. The costumes costumes in this whole episode are great. 
one of the things, one of the many things that I dearly love about Star Trek is what our future, their past would look like. Yeah. Uh, I love it. And I try to live my life that way. <laughs> you do you do like uh when becca and i first became friends it was just like a series of like me running into her at parties where she would be wearing this absolutely fantastic outfit and i'm like where did you get this hat vintage store where did you get that cape i made it <laughs> it's like what i have to be friends with this woman <laughs> yay <laughs> this yes is completely true style motto confused time traveler yeah very heavily influenced by star trek Thank you very much. Um, okay, so so back, back to back to intersections, back to intersectionalism. I, I want to say that I think that this episode, I think that the the show creators of this episode were handling race really smartly. Mm. Like when they're up on the ship and they're like, "Well, who's going down for the conference and who's not?" They're like, "Well, we're not sending Miles." Like. They needed him for science reasons, to, to, but they were also like, we're not going to send the white guy down to see what happens to him. We want to see what would happen to Cisco and Bashir. They send down Jadzia Dax, and she gets all of the hot white woman privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it's not hard to be a woman. It is, but like all of her alien symbols are just like, oh, you've got some really extensive tattoo work. That's awesome. And I want to get in your pants. So I'm going to rescue you and bring you back to my hotel. And she plays it off so coolly. Like she can totally handle herself. She's like, oh, I got mugged. They stole everything. Can I borrow your computer while I falsify an ID and like steal some money? It's she's such a genius. I love her. Um, but but showing that uh, disparity is really is really interesting and I, I feel like the the showrunners were really um intentional about it mm-hmm. yeah and then she's able to leverage her privilege to uh be a good ally and she's like okay i'm not just gonna go f-. like she's like i gotta find them i'm gonna save my friends like that's her only uh mission and then once she finds her friends they're like wait we have to help these people and she's like cool I'm going to use my billionaire friend to help these people. And he's like, uh, but I don't know if I want to help these people. I'm going to get in trouble with the government. They don't want their message on the internet. And she's like, think of the press. Think of the PR. And he's like, you're right. I'm going to look great. I'm going to get massive ratings. Yeah. Right. And like, she totally knows how to use her leverage to, um, and her connections to powerful people to help people who are disempowered. And it's really awesome. And, um... One of the reasons why I really like this episode. Um, but we, we unfortunately, we really should also talk about Enterprise. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of the things that I wanted to mention about this um, Deep Space Nine episode, though, is that throughout the episode, the character who's like kind of the, the violent dissenter, the one with the hat, mm-hmm. um, who I forget what he was called but i call him head ghost um i called him hat guy so hat guy sure. uh head ghost hat guy repeatedly refers to cisco as new boy oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and credit to avery brooks acting he you can see that he, as the character cisco understands the deep offense of that term but he's committed to not making waves essentially and so he he doesn't say anything about it he doesn't speak up and say like whatever till later in the episode when he has decided to claim gabriel bell's 
name and identity. All right. I've waited a long time for this. And I know I won't be disappointed. Ain't that right, new boy? The name is Bell. Gabriel Bell. Not spoken, but in parentheses, stop fucking calling me boy, you yeah. asshole. There's this other character, Webb, who is a white guy who has a wife and a teenage son. And they decide that he needs to be the face to go on the internet to talk about what their demands are. And a uh, hat guy is like, why not me? I want to go on TV. <laughs> and Cisco talks him down and is like, it's got to be him. He's got the face. He's got the family. All right, we'll do it your way. I'll log on the interface and I'll tell them that we want the district closed. Not you, him. Funny, I, I would have nominated you. What? Is there something wrong with me? I could be as eloquent as the next guy. I'm sure you can. But they can't dismiss Webb as easily as you or me. He's got the face. He's got the family. He's a guy next door. And that's what they need to see. Meaning, he's white and he's not crazy. And I was just like, oh, man. Yeah, well, this episode. Yeah, this episode really hits all of the notes. But I think he's also cognizant of the fact that a black man would not have been listened to in the same way that a white man was. Right. Will be. Will have been. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Past sure. tense. Oh, maybe we should take a break. Break, y'all. All right. After our break, we'll come back and we'll talk about Enterprise episode Detained. Hello, intertractional listeners. Becca here to invite you to join the San Francisco Sex Positive Democratic Club. If you are interested in advancing the ideals of sex positivity in local governance and discourse, this is the Democratic Club for you. We define sex positivity as a philosophy that all consensual sexual behavior between adults is inherently healthy. We support and work to create sex-positive public policy. We help elect qualified sex-positive candidates, especially those who are non-monogamous, kinky, sex workers, LGBTQ, and members of other alternative sexual communities, as well as their allies. We work to sensitize and educate all Democratic candidates and office holders, the Democratic Party, and the community at large to the issues and concerns of these communities. To learn more and become a member, visit sfspdc.org. You can also find more information on our Facebook page by searching San Francisco Sex Positive Democratic Club. And we're back. So, enterprise. Can I start with some pop culture? Definitely, yes. Yeah, so I think Enterprise struggled with ratings uh, for its entire run. Mm -hmm. So they had a great idea, and that idea was to bring back Scott Bakula's former counterpart from Quantum Leap, uh, the actor who played Al. (laughs) So we have Al from Quantum Leap being Colonel Gratt, the guy who's keeping them in the detention and interrogating them. And it was... 
it was kind of fun for me to see them acting uh, against each other. And I, I bet this was in all the previews and a lot of people tuned in to see this lovely episode about uh, detention centers slash concentration camps. This this episode was actually the one that inspired this episode of our podcast. Yes. Um, because I've, so I've been watching through Enterprise and I watched this one and I was like, okay, we got to talk about detention centers because it's happening at our southern border right fucking now. And then there's this episode that explicitly references references uh, Japanese internment. And like you pointed out, the Suleban in, in this particular case are like very much coded as Jews, or at least it's like easy to make that correlation. It's easy to make that correlation if you're paying attention. And I feel like this is at least the second time that I've noticed that Enterprise has avoided talking about Jews. Uh, the other time is in the Nazi episodes mm-hmm. where they, they talk a lot about uh, fascism and racism, but not Jewish people. And here we have these characters who are living in diaspora. They're far away from their home planet, which has been destroyed. So like the Jewish people living in diaspora from ancient Israel, they mostly assimilate into new cultures. They were citizens and uh, live alongside the majority population and now have been uh, shunted into concentration camps. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the one of the reasons that they're feared is that the Suleban, who are members of the cabal, are given like genetic modification to be able to shapeshift. Yeah, they can sh- they can mimic almost any humanoid, which is the the excuse they explicitly be given the beginning of this episode for why they were picked up. It's like, well, clearly we're not Suleban. And it's like, well, you could have been, um, which is sort of like about. The fear of Jewish people assimilating into Mm -hmm. your culture and then you don't necessarily know. Where are we now? This is a detention complex. It's several light years from where we found you. Does everyone that violates your territory get thrown into a place like this? We're at war with a species that can mimic the appearance of almost any humanoid. We had to make certain that you weren't infiltrators. If you're worried we're Suleban, trust me, we're not. I know. We've already tested your DNA. You're familiar with the cabal? Um, Also, the word cabal is heavily coded. uh, And as I was saying before, they've uh, been called the cabal since uh, the very first episode of Enterprise. But yet in this episode, suddenly it has this double meaning. Uh, People who believe in like the international Jewish conspiracy, like Jews are behind all the government, all the media, all of the, all of the things (laughs) and they're green. Um, So it has kind of like a lizard people conspiracy tie in, which is also often code for talking about uh, the, the Jewish conspiracy. And yet while we have these Jewish ish aliens in concentration camps what we talk about are the japanese american concentration camps i feel like it wouldn't have been a stretch for archer to just mention both yeah he could have very easily like also in that nazi episode there's there's historical precedent and every opportunity to to talk about jews and to talk about the holocaust but they sidestep it entirely. You know, I'm not in the heads of the people in the writing room, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But I do think that uh, in this, in a similar way that the like Space AIDS episode happened, they're like, we want to specifically address Japanese internment. Let's make an episode that does that. 
who knows whether or not they were aware that the Suleban in this case are like easily coded as Jewish. Yeah, I mean, they could have just been at war with another planet where the Suleban are from, but there is no other planet. So we're, we're told immediately that they're in diaspora. Like it could have been more one-to-one mm-hmm. um, with like uh, Japan and the United States. And then we have Hoshi, uh, again, not being the person being sent down, not being the person bringing up the connection uh, or saying anything about it at all. Although it is really great to see Travis get to do some stuff. He usually just stands there at his console. So I'm really glad he got like some stuff to do in this episode. Yeah, there's a great quote on the memory alpha for this where he, in in some interview, he's like, yeah, I really liked doing this episode um, because they gave me things to do. <laughs> and whereas from my perspective, like he gets not very many lines in this episode and he gets beaten up off screen. Yeah, he doesn't actually have that much to do. But it's more than he normally has to do. This is way off topic, but it kind of reminds me of Ahura. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who, you know, uh, Nichelle Nichols almost quit Star Trek after the first season because she thought all of her lines were, um, you know, palm channels are open. <laughs> and she was tired of saying that and wanted to go do theater or something interesting and was uh, talked back into staying. I wonder if the uh, actor playing Travis Mayweather, if he felt the same way. And like, he does not get a lot to do. Yeah, he doesn't. He really doesn't. Enterprise is shaky for a lot of reasons and like it was not getting good ratings. It it also kind of failed in a lot of ways to continue the progressive tradition of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, the cast is very white mm-hmm. and like, I mean, heavily male. But yeah, that that didn't really change until Discovery. Hoshi is given a little more to do than Sulu is, but uh, Travis is not given much more to do than Uhura. Um, probably even less than Uhura. Yeah. I, in, like, to the point where I have trouble remembering that he's called Mayweather and not Merriweather <laughs> when I was <laughs> writing this summer. we didn't know what his rank was. Yeah, he's an ensign. <laughs> Apparently, the like, when he, when the um, character was first... Um, conceptualized he was supposed to be a lieutenant. Yeah, this was unsighted on Wikipedia, so mm. not 100% <laughs> sure on this citation, but uh, according to Wikipedia, he was supposed to be a lieutenant, uh, but then they thought it was unrealistic that he would have the same rank as Malcolm, um, who the actor for whom was much older than him, so uh, they, they knocked him down to Ensign. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I always kind of like, Malcolm seems really old to be on the ship. Everyone else is, like, really young. What's he doing with his life? Uh, but I guess, I guess you don't pass up an, an opportunity to go into space. I not, don't know. Not to, not to be on the Enterprise. Yeah. The first <laughs> ship going into, like, deep space. Yeah, man. I, I gotta, would take I gotta that job. I gotta check my ageism. I don't know why that always bothers me. I mean, ageism is a real thing, too. Maybe it's his second career or third career or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. He, he is the weapons guy. He's the weapons guy. We don't know what his favorite food is. Yeah. <laughs> don't, uh, don't worry about that. It's pineapple. <laughs> it's pineapple. Which Hoshi spent an entire episode oh, yeah. trying to f- figure out. 
I can never figure out if that's a commentary on the shitty things that women have to do in offices. The writers put that in there to be like, this happens to women. Like, was that intentional or not? Was that knowing or not? I like, was I it a know. call out or not? Are they making her do something shitty? Or are they making her do something shitty being like, look at the shitty thing that people make women do? <sighs> yeah. Like, why is the woman in charge of the birthdays? Why is the woman in charge of the birthdays? If we're going to dissect that a little bit, then we have to look at how the episode resolves it. So in the arc of the episode with Hoshi, she's like, tracks down Malcolm's parents and like his... I don't know, childhood best friend or some bullshit. The doctor through medical records. Yeah. Exactly. Flox is like, he has a particular allergy that he gets treated so that he can eat pineapple. Whatever. Mm-hmm. But it resolves like everybody's happy that he got pineapple cake because he loves pineapple. And so right. there's, and there's no... rewarded yeah. for, for figuring it out. And, and at that point, she's just like, phew, this is over. She's never just like why is this my job? Yeah. I mean, she is the beginning and they're like, suck it up. Right. Uh, and Archer's like, this is the most important thing for you to be doing. Yeah. That, that made me angry. It's off topic of internment camps or uh, concentration camps or ghettos or whatever. But on um, the topic of things yeah. that Hoshi has to do. <laughs> yeah. Which is not talk about internment camps, but figure out male characters' birthday favorite foods. Uh, and like on the topic of Hoshi, I noticed one other thing in this episode. She had been trying to um, pinpoint where Colonel Grotz's signal was coming from. Mm. And finally, once Colonel Grot has been like on the comms long enough, they figure it out. Malcolm's the one who says, oh, I got it. I mean, had she figured it out? I don't I don't know. But like. That was her job. Why did he? Why? Why is then the the weapon specialist the one who figures out where the comm signal is coming from? It makes no fucking sense. Yeah. Oh man, this is like giving me flashbacks to when I was a legal intern. Mm. I could not handle such a competitive environment. Someone I was given an assignment once, and this other girl just like completed it for me, and I was like, "What the fuck?" What? Reasons, yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, sorry. Do your own work? Yeah, she was just like, what are you working on? And I casually answered her, and she, like, figured it out first. It was a very upsetting feeling. I imagine Hoshi was very upset. The other things... Let's see, what other notes did I take about this episode? Well, this is kind of random, but in the beginning, when Archer is trying to, like, befriend the people who are in the detention center, the Sulaban he offers a hand, like a handshake, like this is a gesture of camaraderie or whatever. And I just wanted to note that that's like a very culturally specific thing. Enterprise has acknowledged that in other episodes where they encounter this uh, alien race that like gets very offended when you eat in front of them. I'm just like, what matters? Yeah, Yeah, um, yeah, Captain Archer is really obtuse and this is another instance where I'm not sure if the writers are being self-aware about it or not sometimes uh like T'Pol tries to call him in um or Flux tries to call him in and be like this is the best way to interact with other cultures in this particular episode she's like are you sure you want to interfere and he's like yes we have to interfere it's the right thing to do and you kind of feel that, like, it is the right thing to do. Like, mm-hmm. we, we should free all these people. Um, but this is at a time 
in Starfleet's history where they haven't quite developed the prime directive. So there aren't hard and fast rules for when you interfere and when you don't. So it's basically just like to Paul's non-interference suggestion <laughs> that they're violating or not violating. And, uh, but he goes into every situation assuming he already knows what's going on, even though he's supposedly an explorer um, and on a mission of exploration. Um, often he's wrong. Often he's corrected and humbled, but it's just like this level of arrogance, which is mm-hmm. feels very American. And it's supposed to be very Earth-like, but it also feels very... Male? Um, yeah, privileged coming privilege. from a place of privilege. Yeah, it's, it's coming from a place of privilege. I wanted to say male, and then I was like, "Is that fair? Should I whisper it?" <laughs> I, I feel like at this point in our podcast series, I'm like, "Star Trek is for feminists." Yeah, I'm gonna say what I mean. Um, but yeah, he's just like he's a step behind Kirk, and Kirk is just like a little bit more suave and like nuanced and flirtatious about the whole thing, even when he's being arrogant or solving everyone's problems for them. You kind of get the idea that he really uh, does have everyone's best interest in heart and like knows better. And I'm just like, what is Archer's deal? Because like he's just he's wrong a lot, mm-hmm. and but then he just keeps like plowing through. And the series kind of knows about it, and they kind of talk about it, but it's also just like, it makes me really uncomfortable. Mm. That was my Archer rant, sorry. Yeah. I mean, like, no, I like it. I like your Archer rant. I'm into it. I am I struggle with his character as well for, for these reasons. I mean, there's, in the fandom at the very least, but I think that kind of more broadly in, cult, in our culture, uh, Starfleet captains are like, very honorable, very morally driven, like diplomatic persons. Um, mostly thanks to Picard who set that mold. I mean, before him, Kirk was um, basically like flirting and seducing his way out of all his, his problems. So it's like... a type of diplomacy. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh yeah, his sexuality is his superpower. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Archer is much more kind of brash and sort of trying to atone for humanity's past mistakes mm-hmm. by performing these kind of acts of heroism or whatever, being the rescuer to people who are in peril in other parts of the galaxy. Which, good? Probably? But also, he... I mean, I Colonel Grot. says to him like you haven't rescued these people you've doomed them uh, because they get their ships back and they're free from from this detention center but they're not gonna be welcome in the Tandar system yeah one of the conceits for how these camps came about in this particular situation is that they were set up to protect the Suliban from hate crimes directed at them because people were mad at the cabal and couldn't tell the difference yeah and it's like okay that kind of sounds like a good idea except they're imprisoned and they have curfews and they can't go anywhere and it's been like eight years oh and they've experienced family separation like the main character that we interact with who's a suliban in detention who has a child a, a daughter he had been petitioning to have his wife sent to this camp because she's in some other camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and his like his appeal was denied. 
Um, and I'm just like, yeah. at least they have an appeals process. I'm not sure that we have that right now for the families that are separated at the border. I, I mean, there's some kangaroo court legal bullshit happening where three-year-olds are their own defense attorneys. Yeah. Yep. So... One of the things that I had noticed in this episode, they say that there are 89 people in the 89 Sulaban in this detention center, which whatever, the number doesn't really matter, but it feels very empty mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't seem realistic for detention centers or concentration camps or whatever. Like one of the problems with... It felt low. Yeah. And I don't know if they could afford to put the makeup on everybody. <laughs> that was my guess, is they couldn't afford the special effects. They just couldn't afford to put all of those extras in their, like, pebbly, like, yeah. like lizard skin makeup. Yeah, you're probably right about that. <laughs> but they could also have, like, filmed it differently where yeah. it, like, doesn't look like this They could kind have of, filmed like, it large in tighter space. quarters. Yeah. Yeah. Different camera angles. Yeah. Because I think that... They didn't have to put the makeup on Malcolm. <laughs> when they sent him down as a fake Sullivan to rescue everybody. <laughs> I really enjoy that Dr. Flox, among all of his other talents, is like a very skilled plastic surgeon slash makeup artist. Yes. Because <laughs> he's always putting people in like other alien disguises. Yes. Um, he's He's a great character. I like him so much. Oh, um, you mentioned that the Suliban are, uh, or the Tandarans claim that they're, um, imprisoning the Suliban for their, for the Suliban's own protection. Yes. In the episode, the, one of the conversations that they have with the Suliban reveals that there's this, like, nursery rhyme that indoctrinates children to hating Suliban. Be careful of their wicked smiles. Their shining yellow eyes. At night they'll squeeze right through your door. And everybody dies. The Tendarin children used to tease my daughter with that nursery rhyme. I think similarly to some of what we discussed in the Nazi episode, that kind of hate and that kind of indoctrination does not happen overnight. It's there for a long time before it's used as a way to control people in the population to like dehumanize, detandarinize the people that are then like gonna be subjugated. And eventually if we follow the course of history, like what usually happens here is genocide. Yeah. Yeah, so even though this this war with the with the cabal uh, has not been going on very long. You're, you're saying that it was probably the, the roots of this discrimination were in their society earlier. It feels that way. The Suliban's home world had been destroyed a long time ago. This character of the, of the father is the son of someone who relocated to Tandar Prime. Mm-hmm. So it's at least a generation has gone by since their homeworld was destroyed. Probably like in that time, they were refugees, immigrants, and 
like politically hatred of the other activates people to do things. I can see a world where the Tandar, like some subset of Tandar politicians are like fomenting mm-hmm. the hatred of Suliban towards eventual um, military rule or whatever fascism is happening. Yeah. One thing that I thought this episode was doing that was kind of interesting is uh, that when Archer and Travis first see the Suliban, they completely 100% assume that they are the same like evil genetically modified Cabal Suliban that they've encountered in other episodes. That is like one of that's one of the problems with prejudice is like you believe that a certain set of stereotypes apply to any member of the group that you have stereotyped without actually doing some investigation about how those people are and like as soon as you do that it's typically revealed that they're actually just other people to Archer and Mayweather's credit they very quickly come around to these are not the Suliban who are members of the Cabal and therefore it is not okay that they're being imprisoned. Yeah. But yeah, their immediate response is one of fear. I, I just, I kind of want to hit back on this theme of uh, we, we criticize Star Trek because we love it. Mm-hmm. Both of these episodes are trying to do a good thing. They were both written during times when this wasn't as prescient um in u.s history and they're trying to keep it on people's minds and letting people know that uh this is the kind of solution that comes up again and again and it is not a solution uh while also reminding us uh of other instances where these things have happened and i think they do a good job of that i think the way that you and i are both responding right now um kind of in a sad and fearful and upsetting way to these episodes uh, while we're thinking about real life is is evidence of, of how successful they are. My my last critical point of the Enterprise episode is in an episode where they were giving Travis more to do, it would have been fun to see him actually um, do something, hmm. you know, like uh, actually saved people or been more active in, in um, uh, getting them off the planet mm-hmm. as opposed to just sort of like his role is to have his prejudice reversed. Like, that's his role in the plot. And then other characters are sent down to rescue them. And, like, he could have been the one to help rescue people. I really do agree that I wish that he had more to do in this episode. I wish that he had more to do in the series. I wish that he had been given the rank that his character was originally conceived to have because he's very skillful at piloting. Yeah. Um, and he's he's a good actor. He's charming. He's cute. He's uh, less annoying than Avery Brooks. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know a lot of people love Avery Brooks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He. I often really like him. There's just something about the way he says jambalaya that just gets under my skin. For the record, uh, I do not have the same kind of yeah. aversion to Avery Brooks. I do think that he sometimes sounds like he's uh, in a different acting troupe than the rest of the <laughs> cast of Deep, Deep Space Nine. But other than that, I, I like him. But even he is not a rich, he's not initially given the rank of captain. Yes. Yes. Like he's the only black person in a captain-like position mm-hmm. and they start him out at commander. They start him out at commander and they give him this like shitty outpost um, that no one really wants. They're like, you're in charge of the space mall. 
That's next to Pejor's space mall. It's a space, you know. I mean, like the same way that, um, the same way that when you you go to a major train station, it's also kind of a mall. Like that's yeah. what Deep Space Nine is. It's true. They're always on the promenade. Yeah, so, you're right. Yeah, I mean it. It, it is. Yeah, I just but never thought of it that way. They eventually, they eventually, like they they give him. A promotion. He's. They give him a ship. They give him the Defiant, um, which is where we meet him in this episode. He grows a goatee, and uh, suddenly he's he has more bravado and is less annoying to me when he's actually captain. Hmm. So I don't know. Maybe the rank does a lot. I, I mean, like I can speculate from a writer's perspective. They were like, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if if he had this arc of like becoming a captain? Sure. But if they were thinking that way, they were certainly not being cognizant of the fact that they were doing that character arc to the first black person who was cast in this type of role. So, yeah, stay tuned <laughs> for future discussions about how people of color are treated in uh, in Star Trek. Stay tuned for other discussions of ways in which Star Trek relates to current events, be they terrifying or not. Um, but we will, yeah. uh, we will wrap up this particular episode. Yeah. And thanks you guys for listening. And, um, I'm really sorry if we bummed you all out by talking about these things. Yeah. Get, get unbummed out by rewatching these episodes and looking at the fabulous feather in Jadzia's hair. <laughs> and then, uh, write your Congress people. And, uh, if you have the means go fucking bust shit up at the border. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Housekeeping, I feel like is what they say on uh, other podcasts. Other podcasts. Housekeeping <laughs> announcement. Um, we're going on break. We're going to take a few weeks off. Um, we'll have another announcement on our podcast. It'll just show up as like an independent episode when we're going to announce when we're coming back. I think it's going to be like two to three weeks. Ryan's going to be doing yoga teacher training, which is very exciting. Um, and also, we wanted to take a little break independently of that between our first and second seasons. So uh, this is the official end of season one of Intertractional. Soon you will be hearing season two in a few weeks, which features many guests and uh, more conversations about the Star Trek things that we love to hate and hate to love. And we love Star Trek. (laughs) I um, just want to thank all of you for listening. This has been so fun and rewarding. And if you've enjoyed this, which I know many of you have, just like, please reach out and tell as many of your friends as possible. I know I've had the experience of assuming that one of my friends didn't like Star Trek and then finding out that they secretly did. So um, even if you think like this person might not like it, like they might, and uh, it'll really help us grow. Uh, word of mouth is very effective, um, mm-hmm. and I yeah, I just love and appreciate all of you. And uh, you know, like just like physically take someone's phone from them and subscribe, <laughs> and subscribe them <laughs> the podcast. Like they're like, oh yeah, I'll do it later. Like that person's interested, just help, just help them take the extra step. <laughs> I'm totally all about that. Also, uh, as you've been hearing, we've uh, started taking uh, donations. So any amount is really, really welcome. Um, You can give us money at paypal.me slash federation and fempire. And that will help us make even subsequent seasons uh, past season two because uh, we need to, you know, we're doing this for free and we love it. 
um, and we also need money. Yeah, it'll um, you know help us. It'll help it be more of a job. It will also help us reinvest into the podcast and grow as a podcast. Uh, so both of those things will be very exciting and, and lovely, and we would appreciate it. Um, next season, I feel like we're going to talk about some Picard stuff because uh, Star Trek Picard has been announced. It's very exciting. We're going to talk about some Borg stuff. We're going to talk about uh, more instances of toxic masculinity and uh, women as cargo, problematic notions about what it means to be a man. Yeah, it's uh, we've already recorded a few. It's I'm very excited for next season. So just hang tight. Uh, tell your friends and uh, and uh, yeah, keep keep uh, posting on our Facebook group. Keep interacting there. We'll be uh, we'll be keeping track on there, and we love your we love your ideas. We love yeah. your like requests for what we what we should be talking about. So yeah, we're trying to post more on the group. There's some really fun stuff on our web page uh, that sort of su- is like supplementary to the episodes. So check that out if you haven't. But we're trying to put more of that into the group. So. If you're interested in an idea that we brought up in the podcast, uh, we usually find a lot of extra content that you can look at. Yeah. Also screen grabs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. Bye. Welcome back to Subspace Transmissions Log. Welcome back, everyone. Um, I want to thank everyone who reviewed us in Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, AA in the Bay, our friend Alex, Tiff Schaefer, and Trektofer. Thank whoop. you so much for leaving us really positive reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us find other listeners and uh, helps boost us in the algorithm. So, so get all them Apple Podcast reviews. Uh, we love it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and if you don't have time to do that, just click the five stars. That helps too. Um, what do you have, Becca? So I have a lot of people to thank for engaging with us on Twitter. Mm. Uh, thanks to Cash and Who and Trumpet Mosh and um, Nerd Kryptonite for mentioning us. Uh, Casey's a friend of Ryan's and she's pretty awesome. I met her for Ryan's birthday. Uh, Michelle Trumpet Mosh is my mentor and she's fucking amazing. We don't know werewolf union organizer, but uh, pretty cool about werewolves and unions. So <laughs> yeah, thank you. Shout out to that guy or person or girl. Also, thanks to uh, San Francisco City Football Club for tweeting about us. Captain Kirk's dildo retweeted <laughs> us, which is probably like the most exciting thing that's happened in a while. It's definitely the most exciting thing that's happened to me on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, check out all those accounts. Thank you for uh, boosting our signal. Um, I also want to thank Feminist Moogie Corps, which is a women's safe space Star Trek fan group on Facebook. Uh, they shouted us out and we got a lot of traffic from them. So we want to return the favor. So um, if you are female identifying and you want a Star Trek fan group that doesn't have cishet men in it, check out Feminist Moogie Corps. They're really awesome. It's a good space. Oh, yeah. I also wanted to thank our friend Pete. Pete uh, made some fan art for us. It's really great. Um, it's going to be on our Facebook page and also Instagram. Yeah, they're they're really fantastic, uh, awesome interpretations of our logo. And we're 
strongly considering turning them into stickers. Mm. In fact, if you want us to have stickers that we can then give back to you, uh, donate to us at paypal.me slash federation and fempire. That will give us some funds to go out and buy stickers, which we really, really want to make. Yeah, yeah. And then we can give them to you. You can give them to your friends. We can stick them on bars all over San Francisco. Whatever you want to do with them. Yeah. Uh, Help us make that a reality. And one other thing, we wanted to launch a little contest. Oh, yeah. Um, To enter, you have to get five of your friends to follow us and prove it to us. So whether this is five people joining our Facebook group or five people following us on Instagram or following us on our podcast and then just like take a screenshot, email it to us or share it with us however you want. And the person who uh, gets the most of their friends to uh, become fans of ours will get a t-shirt and we'll send you some options and you pick the t-shirt that you want. It has to be at least five. So just show us the receipts and get a Star Trek shirt. <laughs> Our personal choice would probably be the disco shirt that people are jogging around and yeah. uh, discovery on, Ooh, but you or know the new Picard shirt. But if yeah, the choice that. the choice can be yours among uh, the ones that we've narrowed it down to. <laughs> Get your friends to subscribe. Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalisi and Becca Motola-Barnes. Original music by Danny Kafka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. Tell us what you think. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes. If you like this podcast, help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on iTunes. It really makes a big difference. Donate to us at paypal.me slash federation and fempire. That's fempire spelled F-E-M-P-I-R-E. Yeah, so my my secret headcanon is that when um, when they're in Chris Brenner's office and at his fancy party, that they're actually in the Salesforce Tower. I know it didn't exist in 1995, but that's totally where they would be.